Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Sorry we're a bit late. That's the left. We're not always known for our, our prompt nature, to be brutally honest. Uh, it's a big pleasure to, to be doing a very, very important show today. We have two extremely important topics uh, to talk about. Um, before kickoff, I've been in uh, quarantine for the last eight days. Al- alas, I did get struck by the dreaded Delta variant of COVID. Um, that was before uh, my second jab came into action. Now, I actually am feeling a lot better. I did get hit by... I know this is probably not that interesting, but I think it's interesting for people perhaps who who, who maybe have got COVID or because there is obviously there has been a bit of a surge there are some promising signs but i basically got struck by quite severe fatigue and i didn't really know what fatigue meant until i got struck with it uh and it is very debilitating you can't actually do anything um so it did make me think about people for whom chronic fatigue is obviously not a condition that appears for a few days but but for huge periods of time and it's something definitely i would like to talk about based on that very limited experience. But anyway, I'm feeling a lot better myself. Um, Today, we are talking about two very, very, very important issues. Later on, we are going to be talking about Absana Begum, who is a Labour MP who has been completely and utterly exonerated on the charges brought against her by Tower Hamlets Council related to alleged fraud to do with housing, though complete exoneration, complete vindication. And we're very lucky later to be joined by the her lawyer, Raj Chadha, who successfully, of course, defended her. But we're going to look at what the case tells us, the wider implications uh, of the case, because there's some very, very important wider issues to talk about. So we'll talk about that later on. Uh, to begin with, though, uh, we're going to be talking about new revelations to do with Tory donors. Um, now, this is in the Financial Times. The Financial Times did a splash. Elite Tory Donors Club hold secret meetings with Johnson, who is, of course, our beloved Prime Minister. Um, we'll be talking about this. This is a so-called advisory panel of Tory donors who have provided vast sums of money to the Conservative Party. And it's I know a lot of you already, and this is what worries me about the response to this, people are a bit like, oh, bear shit in woods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what you expect from the Conservatives. That itself, I think that actually is worrying because it, it it normalizes the corruption of our democracy, which was won through the struggle and sacrifice of huge numbers of people over many generations and centuries. Um, that democracy has huge caveats, not least because the wealthy and powerful find ways to game the system in their interest, which is what we'll be talking about. The wider issues uh, in terms of the details of this scandal, uh, which should be treated as a scandal, though it despite the Financial Times commendably, of course, doing this splash, it's not getting pick up elsewhere. But, you know, other examples of it and what it shows about the corruption of British democracy. Now, before I bring in our first brilliant guest, Solomon Hughes, who's a fantastic investigative journalist we're very lucky to have, just some usual housekeeping. If you're watching this live, do click through to YouTube. Watch it. It just helps the channel if you watch it on YouTube. Just click the YouTube link and then press like and that helps the algorithm, and subscribe. And also, um, this channel has kept afloat, and the podcast, by your support. Uh, we're doing a documentary on who owns Britain, which is going to be a very interesting documentary about well, says what it does what it says on the tin. But we're going to look into detail, both in urban and rural Britain, the people who own this country, um, so that is made possible because that's a huge amount of time and resources with our brilliant team. 
for your support on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. You can also support the channel using Super Chat, where on YouTube, you can just click uh, and ask questions to the guests. And I will thank everybody at the end who supports the show by doing that. Uh, if you're Also, we've got our podcast, of course, which is a huge part of our audience. So do listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and support us there. Right, that's enough from me. I'm going to bring in the brilliant investigative journalist, Solomon Hughes. Hey, Solomon, how are you doing? Hey, Owen. Great to see you. Great to see you. So I just want to start with this story in the FT. So basically, you know, let's set the scene, as the Financial Times did. It's June the 28th, not long after Matt Hancock resigned after... Not, unfortunately, after, for example, discharging vulnerable patients from hospitals into the care sector, which ravaged the care sector with huge numbers of deaths, uh, but because he was obviously caught on camera uh, canoodling with his his uh, someone he was having an affair with who was appointed at public money, um, public expense in, in that post. But anyway, uh, so Boris Johnson is driven to this Kensington townhouse. It's all organised by Ben Elliott, who's the chair of the Conservatives. Uh, he's the he's the he's the beating heart of the party's fundraising operation. He runs something called Quintessentially, which is a concierge company. They style themselves as a luxury lifestyle management service. They look after the desires of the wealthy, and they send Madonna and people all sorts of very niche products. Some of the richest people in London are there. It's being hosted by Rishi Kosler, who's a banker. Uh, these are key Tory donors. Uh, some of the richest people in, in the capital. Peter Cruddish, the tycoon, who gave half a million pounds. Uh, he was elevated to the House of Lords. Howard Shaw, founder of Shaw Capital, gave the party £250,000. Now, these are members of a secretive so-called advisory board. Now, this is an advisory board which doesn't appear anywhere in the party's literature, but under Elliot has been described as the most desirable pl- 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 uh, club in the Tory party, where these wealthy donors get monthly access to Boris Johnson or Rishi Sunak. I'm just wondering, what's your thoughts? Let's just take your initial thoughts. (laughs) Well, it's a good story by the FT. And what they've done is if the Conservative Party is a video game, they've unlocked a secret boss level where you have to, (laughs) where something else is going on. Uh, We know the Conservative Party for for years has said that it has uh, donor clubs, uh, which if you give a certain amount of money, you'll get a certain amount of access. And the top one of these was the leaders group. You You pay 50 grand, you get to go for dinner maybe once a quarter or something like that with uh, with top ministers and uh, so what the ft have found is that even above the donor uh, the leaders club there's another one the advisory board where you have to pay 250 grand and you get to meet them every uh, uh, month it sounds like uh, so even within this the the the, the sale of influence there's there's a, there's a secret higher level there's like a um you know the kind of vip part of the club behind the rope uh, and uh, that's bad. You know, that's really bad. Uh, it's it's not um, it's not democracy as we understand it. And it really it underlines how uh, the Conservative Party acts as a kind of machine for the uh, super rich uh, to tell the uh, middle class uh, what to tell the rest of us to think. You know, um, yeah. So it's a good story. It's a good story. Um, and I think Ben Elliott is a really interesting character in it. Um, because he has come into business as an influence, uh, as, as either servicing the ultra-rich or um, uh, trying to help corporations with influence, those two things. And it's almost like, well, so the Conservative Party has therefore become something that uh, serves the ultra-rich uh, uh, or helps corporate interests, uh, you know, which it just, just seems very direct, very on the nose. If you were writing the film script of this, this would have sounded too corny, I think. Yeah, I mean, we know, for example, there's a 250 club of donors who gave, gave a quarter of a million or more uh, though a party spokesperson denied the existence of such a group. But anyway, um, it includes, for example, the likes of um, Lubov Chernikin, who's the wife of the former Russian minister, Vladimir Chernikin. It's quite interesting that because obviously we saw back in 2018, uh, the Labour Party was particularly hammered as though it was the stooge of Russian um, of the Russian regime when dubious money linked to the Russian regime can actually be directly linked to the Conservative Party. Uh, hedge fund managers, um, 
for example, uh, a, a, a the wife of Wafik Saeed, a Syrian-born businessman known for his role in the UK-Saudi al-Yamana arms sale. Now, the Conservative Party say government policies are no way influenced by the donations the party receives. They are entirely separate. What I think is interesting is... Um, for example, back in 2012, here's an example, and the Financial Times, again, wrote, uh, and this was when, it wasn't long after the Labour Party had undergone a brown, they'd actually increased the top rate of tax to 50p, which was then reduced to 45 under Osborne, George Osborne, the then Chancellor. And a city donor said to the Financial Times, there probably aren't many votes in cutting the 50p top rate of tax, but among those that give significant amounts to the party, it's a big issue. And that's probably why it's a big issue for the party too. I mean, basically, these rich donors aren't just going, well, I've got a bit of spare <laughs> cash lying around. I just really just just think I'll just, you know, just help out. I don't, it's and... just, uh, I mean, there's just really basic things, aren't there? Um, he who pays the piper calls the tune, isn't it? That's just the, that's what we understand. That's how we understand the world. There's also a really basic thing about journalism where, uh, uh, you know, everyone who goes to uh, any kind of, you know, journalism school, they'll learn about uh, Watergate, where two plucky journalists uncovered a huge scandal that brought down the President of the United States because President Nixon was running this huge secret uh, illegal smear campaign. And everyone, that's the heroes for all journalists. Uh, and Woodward and Bernstein's um, lesson was, and they said this explicitly, was follow the money. If you want to find out what's going on, follow the money. The Financial Times have done a good job here doing that. Uh, but it's it's actually done not enough by journalists um, and surprisingly little. I mean, I, I got into journalism because I did, did it a little bit and there's just a huge gap. Um, and uh, it's not done enough. It's, 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 I think it's slightly improved since the financial crisis that journalists have become more sensitive to the idea that, uh, you know, very rich people are making things happen badly <laughs> and doing it through political influence. So it's got a bit better, but it's still not good enough. Um, I think the other interesting thing, I think we'll find more about donors over time. It's useful to just get a value. 250 grand is just a useful value. It means every time, because we can see the donations, we should look at that donations at 250 grand and inspect them more closely. Because we did that before when the, the admitted lower level donor club of 50 grand was uh, uh, announced which is some years back it means that ever since then uh, the better journalists have paid attention to that sum if someone donates 50 grand you just think oh okay so they're particularly close to the prime minister what have they gained from it and you just try sometimes you just try and uh, work your way backwards um i mean really obvious one vast amount of property donations uh, for for house builders and other property developers in the conservative party in the financial times article they focus on the idea that actually the um conservative party is going to really start tearing up uh, planning rules uh, i think they're interested in that because uh, middle class shire tories like planning rules because they're all basically nimbies but ultra rich uh, uh, property developers don't. So they think there'll be a conflict within the Conservative Party. And I think that is an interesting thing that will show the limits of democracy uh, within the Conservative Party itself. I think we should be more interested in the limits of democracy within society. So the really obvious things are uh, we have very high uh, levels of homelessness, house prices are high, rents are high, uh, but the government is subsidising housing firms through uh, help to buy, which it just pushes, it gets, lets some people buy properties through a state-backed loan, but it actually pushes up housing prices because it's just increasing money in the market rather than increasing the number of houses, let alone affordable houses that are built. Uh, so, you know, that's a really obvious one. There's just a very direct, there are very direct things between uh, the property industry, uh, property lobby funding the Conservative Party. There's very basic things between incredibly rich people funding the Conservative Party and that um, uh, pulling down uh, the possibility of increasing uh, taxes. Or if a tax increase happens, it might happen in national insurance, which weighs more heavily on ordinary people and less on the... Uh, the uh, I keep saying rich. But let's just... Uh, the term that the quintessentially like to use, Ben Elliott's firm, is um, ultra... 
uh, high net worth individuals. And that's people who've got about 20 million pounds investable. They've got to have more money than that. They've got like 20 million pounds spare cash, if you like. So they like to talk about ultra high net worth individuals, which you see that phrase a lot. And I think people like, or the rich people like it, because it sounds like it's got that phrase, the word worth in it. So it makes them sound like they're worth more. So the, the, there are ultra high net worth individuals, which I think he means really filthy rich. And then there are high net worth individuals who are filthy rich. And then there's the, the merely the rich below them. In terms of democracy uh, and what this says about a democracy, I mean, another striking example is is peerages, which is indicative, which is people being elevated to the House of Lords. And last year, for example, the Mirror had this story about, they said, 15 wealthy Tory donors over the last decade and a half have been handed peerages. One example I've already mentioned him is Peter Cruddus, who was made a peerage, uh, made a peer earlier this year after giving half a million pounds to the Tories against the advice of the Lord's appointment watchdog. Now, he actually resigned, people might remember this, as Tory party co-treasurer in 2012 after being caught in a cash for access sting involving uh, offering access to David Cameron, the then Prime Minister, and George Osborne, the then Chancellor of the Exchequer, for that magic number, 250,000 pounds. So, I mean, that's quite, I mean, you know, again, I mean, it's not just the Conservatives who do this, and it's they, and we'll come on to Labour, actually, um, shortly, but, you know, you, you don't have to be some sort of, <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory to go, oh, look, there's a load of rich Yeah, and they I think it's, it's, this is really just a, a great point to think, how would we be, how would this process in this country be reported if we were a small developing nation you know uh business associates of the ruling party have been placed in the legislature despite concerns over questionable funds you know it would just it just would look like uh, it makes <laughs> it's banana republic stuff really uh, at the risk of insulting countries that rely on banana production uh it, it, and it's quite interesting. If you think about it, the point of getting a peerage is this. Uh, on the one hand, it's saying to somebody who's got a lot of money, you can have political influence. But on the other hand, it also says we'll give you this, you know, if you become a peer, it's like we'll give you this big badge that says you're an important and respectable person, which will help you get further money. So it's a very, it feels to me like a very one hand washes the other thing. You know, you do a favour, you give us money, we give you a peerage, which means you still have political influence because you can do things in the House of Lords because we've got this ridiculous the House of Lords, uh, then um, in turn, it also gives you respectability. So you can, you know, you'll, be, you'll find it easier to raise investment if you can send something out with House of Lords uh, mm -hmm. notepaper. Uh, very occasionally, some of them get a bit uh, cagey about it because it does mean there are very minimal uh, reporting standards where you have to say what you are up to and what you do. But they're, they're even weaker than the, well, they're much weaker than the House of uh, Commons ones. I mean, I just think for the democracy, I, honestly, I would tell you what I would tell people to do. Ha have a read of the Financial Times article, but just go on the quintessentially website um, because it just feels so greasy and disgusting, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I started I started writing about Ben Elliott in 2019 when he got the job because it was just too easy. Um, so uh, quintessentially, uh, it's, it's a concierge service and that, there's been more and more concierge services rising and that means a concierge service is somebody who will give a lifestyle manager to this ultra rich you know a sort of super valet or butler who'll get you tickets they'll help you buy property they might help you not quintessentially doesn't do this but others do they might help you get citizenship uh they would help you get your kid and quintessentially say they do this they help will help you get your kid in a top university where they'll you know tutor them and give you the links and the contacts and all the rest of it uh they'll there's a luxury lifestyle management firm uh personal shopping uh you know so it almost is like personal shopping for politics isn't it now he's taken the model he had for his uh, sort of slightly creepy um what can i do for you uh mr rich person service and he's just transferred that to the conservative party the conservative party is ah rich person what can we do for you what could, what personal thing would you like to uh buy um i mean it, the conservative party often other parties do but often has that element the um there's the the at conservative balls they invite all the rich people who are donors and it's it, quite expensive for a ticket uh, but you also get to hobnob both with the government uh, and with other people who are there uh, and this uh 
past summer ball we couldn't work it out there were there were all these funny donations sometimes this is sorry i'm digressing slightly but the actual value that we know 250 grand is the value to join the advisory board is useful because it means then you inspect everyone who donates 250 grand in the last year the summer ball which is another good time to look at who has influence in the ear of uh, the, the prime minister the summer ball was a virtual ball and we figured this out because everyone's kept donating all these top tory donors and business people all donated nine thousand eight hundred and fifty four pounds to the party and we couldn't figure out what's that about and it turned out it's because it's a virtual ball they weren't there in present uh, in person that they each got a hamper worth 146 pounds uh, and they took that off the price of the donation because they said well that's not a donation we actually got this hamper so they all sat at, on a zoom call with this 146 pound hamper uh, sort of hobnobbing with uh, uh, ministers very directly at, at least at, at that virtual ball there was uh, one firm that won no bid contracts for uh, PPE supplies you know these there is you can often work backwards and find a very direct uh, relationship that appears to show you can't prove it but it appears to show uh, that uh, having favored access is uh, beneficial and sometimes it's just a general thing you know rich people don't like taxes uh, but if we don't increase taxes on the rich uh, you know uh, society will uh, not do well you know it's, it's, it's just so there's a specific interest and also general interest but yeah really seriously going back to uh, what I was saying at the beginning of, uh, of that uh, rather rambling point was just look on the website at Quintessentially and think that's who is running Conservative Party fundraising. As Stephen Calder and Super Chat says, maybe the PM and his ministers should wear sponsorship logos on their clothes like footballers so that people know who they really work for. I actually quite like that idea. It's a nice idea. No, I tell you, this is actually, I mean, you'll know this from when you go to party conferences. It's a really odd thing is uh, you go to party conferences and if you go to all the events on the fringe, there will be ministers speaking and all the events are sponsored by... Uh, with donations tend to tends to be individuals not exclusively but it tends to be ultra high net worth individuals uh at the conference the events tend to be sponsored by corporations and it's really direct so all the privatization corporations will pay for a meeting with the minister so it'll be atos and there will be the minister uh for you know whatever for uh, uh, disability or what have you uh or, or and it's really direct. It, it is almost like they're wearing a, a logo because the, there'll be the, the, the sign for the corporation and then there will be a thanks by the chair on behalf of the corporation. And then the minister will say something which inevitably and invariably will be friendly to that corporation. Yeah. Um, and it, what happens in that is... Two things that strike me on that is when you go to party conferences, it looks really weird. You're like, why are all these corporate logos every, everywhere? Why is everything sponsored? You know, why is every meeting is actually seems to be, you know, pay for play, pay for access. Uh, you know, this, the, 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 the kind of little glass of white wine and the volivant you're eating is paid for by Serco or Atos or G4S and then the minister speaks. It's, it, it really does feel like it is a, a, a sort of corporate sponsored event. It looks weird, but it's rarely reported. I mean, I tend to do that. I tend to do a report once a year. I'll do a report somewhere that will just list all the logos, and it it, it always gets in interesting coverage. But it is something that uh, the big papers don't report as much or half as much. And I think the problem with them is they're just used to it. They see it every year, so it's not new, you know. But it's actually weird, you know. That's the honest yeah. truth, and often absurd. I mean, I, there's sometimes the people who organise the meetings, who act as intermediaries between the corporations and the ministers, is typically think tanks. You know, they will get the sponsorship for the event and they'll issue a report saying there should be more privatization of uh, disability benefits brought to you by atos you know uh, and they'll have the minister uh, but sometimes it's the uh, magazines that do this and the spectator just to be in with the government uh, runs a series of sponsored meetings at every uh, mm -hmm. conference uh, and the and the spectator also produces its own branded gin uh, which is a rather over-flavoured uh, gin. Uh, and the last, uh, I, think it was either, I think it was not last year, but the year before, or maybe the year before that, I was at a spectator conference meeting on trade, which was sponsored by the Cayman Islands uh, government, you know, so it's sponsored by a tax haven. Uh, and 
I think I, I, my memory's a little weak here. It was a minister was on the panel saying the Cayman Islands are great, and the Cayman Islands guy was on the panel saying the Cayman Islands are great. I can't entirely remember. I think it may have been Esther McVeigh, but I'm not 100 sure on that. Uh, and because the Cayman Islands had paid for it, they got a minister in, they got a big audience, but everyone was also given all this free spectator gin and so by the end of it it was just this whole room full of ruddy drunken Tories you know because the gin was free all you know half cut on gin uh cheering the idea of tax avoidance you know it just it's it was Hogarthian you know um but so that that element of sponsorship and of just politics being rather bought it's 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 great. The FT have got a good story here. Uh, there've been other good stories this week. There's a good story in the uh, uh, Mirror about a Russian uh, banker funding uh, Dominic Raab. But there's there's not enough, and there's not as much as would describe reality. I mean, it's interesting too because there was the uh, just as another example about how this all works. Um, before the 2019 election, there's this black and white ball the Tories put on. Uh, with donors, where Tory donors splash tens of thousands of, on cosy dinners with ministers, hunting trips, luxury holidays. £75,000 for a night out with Theresa May, <laughs> just for the scintillating conversation. The, she's a real raconteur, that Theresa May, so that would have been a real investment. Anyway, the Tory chairman, Brandon Lewis, told guests, whatever you bid at the auction, it's less than you'll pay in tax under Corbyn. Now, that's quite an interesting uh, tidbit, because whilst now history is often revised because history is written by victors. But, you know, there was a period of time when a Corbyn-led government seemed like a genuine, real political possibility. And the Financial Times and London newspapers reported the super-rich panicking and making plans to try and squirrel away money and all the rest of it in advance of a Corbyn government of some description. And this fleshes out how much of the super-rich see the Conservative Party, which is that it, it's a party that exists to represent and defend their class interests and when the party of Labour had taken a particular political turn which made it more of a menace and a threat. It wasn't going to be have an accommodation with Thatcherism as it did under uh, New Labour where corporation tax was cut year after year, income tax was kept uh, low, um, you know, the city was deregulated and all the rest with catastrophic consequences. So actually, even though they're splashing all their, this money, they know it's an investment because it it would pre- prevent a government taking a lot more money off them to do to invest in social programs, for example, that they don't believe in. Oh, I think it's, uh, you know, you've got... You've got two different elements. You've got the big donors, uh, the, the, the big uh, ultra high net worth individual donors, and they've got the money i mean that's the main thing and um, and and i think they're you know so they, they, they they've got the money they want to they want to spend it somewhere and of course they'll spend it on uh, on the party of power to make sure they keep the money <laughs> uh, there's also an element to which and i think you you see this sometimes is that where donors give money to the conservative party they feel it buys them an element of respectability um you know it buys them so you sometimes see people who are wanting to buy they've made a lot of money but some people a little bit iffy about them. So it, it, there's an element where it buys them an entry into the British establishment. Uh, you know, so th- there's there's that process going on as well. Um, you know, which is, uh, it's always interesting to uh, investigate who's donated. I mean, to be honest, I've often found that if you look at somebody who's donated and you look hard enough, eventually something uh, bad will uh, surface about them. Uh, so um, I, a long time I spent uh, chasing a company called Leica Mobile that sells uh, cheap mobile phone calls for people, particularly who uh, diaspora people who want to phone back home to uh, migrant people to 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 their mums and dads and what have you. Um, so Leica Mobile with big 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 Tory donor and they came from nowhere and I thought, oh, well, you know, what's going on there? Just kept looking at, kept looking at it and kept finding that they're tax was very low they're caught as a business their tax was very low and i, I raised in a number of uh, both in uh, the guardian and, and private eye which is where i mostly work raised issues about this and we finally figured out that they were managing they had a mechanism to avoid uh, tax which uh, in in involved uh, you know complicated uh, movements between countries 
and the more you write about it, I thought there's something going on here. And eventually in their annual report, it turned up that they are in fact being investigated now by the Inland Revenue, who think that they owe them a lot of tax. This still isn't settled. But I just think sometimes, you know, just the fact that they're giving money to the Conservative Party is that they have a general interest in shaping society, but sometimes they have a specific interest in making themselves uh, look respectable if they feel in a way that they're people who may be uh, examined as not respectable otherwise. Now, we talked about the Tories. Let's let's just have a little chat about Labour because, you know, Labour, it's been reported in The Times, is seeking billionaire cash as Labour struggles to pay staff. They're seeking money, including for the founder of outsourcing company Capita. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, a billionaire property developer, an heiress to the Tetra Pak fortune, the granddaughter of the founder of River Island. Um, so, uh, I mean, basically, you know, under whatever people, you know, think about the previous administration, Labour was flush with cash, uh, partly because it became the biggest political party or one of them in, in, in depends how you define it, in Europe, but well over half a million members. So that infused it with a huge amount of cash. Obviously, Labour has the support of trade unions who some attempt to equate with big money there's a very big difference trade unions are democratic political movements which use the small donations uh which working people pay the whole point of labor was it was founded to be the political wing of working people through the trade unions that's a transparent process people can see trade you know in terms of how that works rather than big money who are after selfish personal um ends seeking profit of course um but now because the membership has fallen so steeply uh, in Labour. Also, these settlements, I mean, for example, over Panorama, many argued Labour could have won that case. Uh, but in any case, Labour has now a mass cash crisis. So they've gone cap in hand to billionaires. And we can see, as we talked about the Tories, that rich people do not give this money over expecting nothing in return. And Labour, founded to represent working people, hence the name, the fact it's now been reduced to this. And also, I mean, are they actually even going to get this money? Because, you know, because frankly, a lot of them are quite happy with it. I mean, they might not be, you know, they might not think Brexit's great, but that's not going to be reversed under Labour anyway. So, I mean, what do you think anyway? Uh, well, I think, you know, you they will get some, but I think the problem is, 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 is new Labour, the last Labour government was able to raise a large corporate donations because they were the party of power. Once you're in government, everyone wants to give you money. They don't necessarily want to give you money to get into government. There's only a, there's a minority section of the rich people who want to see, who put, put this as a kind of more long game and will uh, back Labour. I mean, this is where I came in. This is, I just feel like, you know, I'm just going in Groundhog Day now. Uh, I came into journalism in the, the late 90s and uh, one of the things I spotted was there was a, a company a big American company well this is the thing what I spotted was that as Labour were advertising we're interested in corporations backing us where they're party not just of Labour but also capital you know we're new Labour and um, one of the first companies I saw back in them was a company called uh, Enron uh, and we you could just see they were stank you know uh, Enron were involved in a big um they're an energy company, sort of, and they're involved in a big power station in India. And all the people, all the local fisher folk objected to this power station. So they all got beat up mysteriously. Uh, you know, Enron were really dodgy, horrible company with close links to the Republicans. And you just looked at the thought, this isn't good. And so raised a bit of a stink about it. And of course, Within a few years, it turns out that Enron is not just a dodgy corporation, but a giant conspiracy, even on its own investors. And it exploded in, uh, you know, it just was one of the great financial scandals of our time. And that's, you know, you you start touting for money. That's who you end up getting it from. You know, honestly, if they're going to do that again, and whilst it got them a lot of money, it also caused them a huge amount of problems so that cash for access became a labor problem, uh, you know, the people who gave them money, lots of uh, people around the banks were interested in them. So uh, Labour got involved in the private finance initiative, uh, you know, and that became it helped them in the short term, but it became a nightmare in the long term. It becomes a problem. 
you can look at it in a high way, a political way. Is social this theory of social democracy is that we're all equal at the ballot box, but unequal in society. So we can use our power in the ballot box to make society more equal. Uh, but if the ballot box or the political parties are themselves also fixed. Uh, it doesn't feel like social democracy. It feels like managed democracy. It feels like you've got the choice between two things. That's the big way of looking at it. The little way of looking at it is Labour of you know, Labour can go in and say they can try and win votes by saying, look, the Conservatives are just the party of the uh, super rich and they're all a bit dodgy. But if they are at the same time doing this, it muddies the water. It just removes clarity, which is what precisely what happened uh, to Labour, who went from this big high vote uh, in 97 to, you know, then slowly that tailing away. People point to the Iraq war, but it was also uh, the private finance initiative, the sense that it weren't different, the sense they were all the same. Also, it has to be the, the sense that it all was all the same. One of the mechanisms was the revolving door, where f this happens with Conservatives as well, but with uh, lots of Labour ministers, when they left parliament or even when they're still in parliament but left ministerial office got jobs with investment companies that invested in nhs privatization alan uh, milburn former health secretary was a, a famous case of that and it just it creates the you're all the same uh narrative which is actually poisonous for labor um I, will they get it and uh, will they get it i mean obviously uh it's it's They'll get some, uh, but they won't get that much. Um, and we've seen, we've seen as a financial model, the original financial model of the Labour Party was raise money from members and trade unions, and it worked. And then the this was reinvented by under Corbyn, where, you know, the party was doing really, really well financially because it had just loads of members. It didn't need big donors, you know, and it was it was more stable as well. One big donor can walk out in a huff, whereas with members, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, their annual subscriptions, they don't churn so badly. Um, so they'll get some, there are some signs they'll get some, but I think they're already bad signs. So um, they took a donation uh, in January, £33,000 from PricewaterhouseCoopers. It didn't come in the form of cash, it came in the form of staff. So someone from PricewaterhouseCoopers came and helped the uh, Labour Party develop policy, which is something they did um, back in the 2000s and uh, it was back in the 2000s no less than margaret hodge uh, said well why are we doing this she pointed out that uh, price waterhouse coopers uh, the accounts and management consultants was selling tax avoidance on an industrial scale that's what margaret hodge says so when they said well why are you why is labor taking whole um, you know staff borrowing staff from price waterhouse coopers as a donation she said well actually that's wrong uh, you know and if hodge said it was wrong why why is uh, Labour doing it again under Starmer? Uh, I saw as well uh, in the current Register of Members' Interests, Rachel Reeves, the uh, new Shadow Chancellor, has got 25 grand for staffing from Victor Blank. Uh, Victor Blank is he's a, a former banker. He's seen as a banker with a good reputation. And I think that's not unfair, actually. He's probably not. The, he's, he's, he was... He had a conservative approach to banking in the run-up to the financial crisis. So uh, he, he um, you know, arguably he was one of the better ones. But even so, the shadow chancellor being funded by one of the better bankers, don't be funded by a banker. You know, you're the, the shadow chancellor, your job is going to be to tell the banks not what to do, not to take advice from them, you would hope. Um, you know, so that, yeah, they'll, they'll get some, but it's that each sum is not as good as you can get from you know whatever five thousand ten thousand members it's just not as good uh and it also always has this kind of you know something where it will it will make you do something wrong or embarrass you in some way just quickly lastly before just i'm going to bring in raj shortly just to to talk over of course uh this horrendous case involving of course the labor mp but just just some comments as well but just to underline your points, uh, Bahumanya Guy says the American American study published as Golden Rule by Thomas Ferguson showed a direct correlation between donations and policies. Tajiz Campwell says, in comparison with the amount left to the Tories in their wills, to these, you know, these groups with the overall levels of money given, it would be interesting to compare the two. Or uh, is the left normalizing everything Johnson does and therefore allowing him to get away with it? The nature of Johnson in terms of how he can. I suppose, uh, get away with scandals which would have destroyed other politicians. 
just finally, what I wanted to bring in was this splash in the Observer this week, uh, this Sunday. Starmer Aid warns we've lost touch with target voters. That's Deborah Mattinson, the pollster who's been brought in. Uh, she's from Britain Thinks, but she's been brought in as the new head of strategy for Keir Starmer. The reason I think this is interesting is <laughs> a few things, really. I mean, I mean, because I, I know you've got um, insights from Deborah Mattinson, but it's this whole strategy which Starmer and much of the Labour right have adopted of we're really, we're shit, everyone. We're really <laughs> rubbish. I mean, we know we're rubbish. We're so, we are so out of touch. Oh, my word. Do you know how out of touch? It's worse than you think. Uh, this self-flat, and uh, please vote for us, though. Yeah, and, you know, and there's also this, you know, in politics, you're supposed to, sh- you know, show, don't tell. And the problem with the Labour leadership is they keep doing things like, we're going to set out a vision. We're going to set out what we need to do. I mean, you shouldn't do that. You should just set it out rather than keep... Because that's what happened, for example, after the by-election defeat in Hartlepool. But Keir Starmer did this slightly odd interview where he was, you know, like, oh, we're, I'm going to spell out what needs to be done. Say, like, spell it out now, then. But yeah, just in terms of what you think about the strategy of telling the country uh, I, how rubbish and out of touch Labour is and then expecting them to it, vote for them. It's just, it's just... Um... It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a winner, does it? <laughs> I think some, to some extent, though. I think what's happening actually is that they're not. That message isn't aimed at the population. It's aimed at bouncing the Labour Party membership into despair and demoralisation. You know that they want to. They've got a set of politics which they they didn't win. You know, Keir Starmer stood as a kind of, you know, soft left uh, character, but he's moving. F- away more into a kind of new Labour territory. So they didn't win that, and now they have to bounce people into it. So I just think they keep leaking these sort of Deborah Mattison. Deborah Mattinson does um, focus groups, so she'll go and talk to uh, 20 people who are, don't vote Labour and say, why don't you vote Labour, and then write down all the horrible things she says and then try and, you know, wave that around. Uh, it's, it's a sort of strategy of... Really, I suspect my feeling is that they've brought back new Labour characters. Deborah Mattinson worked uh, for, um, she was one of the group of advertising type people who worked to help develop new Labour. Uh, so they brought her back in at the top. They brought in uh, Peter Mandelson as an advisor. And they both of them do the same thing. They both say, actually, the population really wants right-wing things. They don't want you to increase taxation. But I just think it's the, it's ventriloquism. You can always find someone who will say that. But I think it's that they don't want to increase taxation on the rich. Uh, they don't want uh, massively increased social spending. They don't want stricter regulation. And I have to say, to some extent, it's just their business interests. Uh, Mattinson's uh, uh, Britain thinks she set aside from that. She stepped aside from it, but that was how she made her career in business when she wasn't working for the Labour Party. They do polling and focus groups for McDonald's. They do it for Capita. They do it for Virgin. You know, uh, you know, it's just they're from that. She's she's coming from that world. And equally, Peter Mandelson, you know, one point was very much on the left, a young communist and what have you. Uh, but the, the, then he, you know, went into government. But that, now he's come out the other end and set up a, a, a lobbying company called Global Council, uh, we don't exactly know who they rep- represent because they don't always list that as fully as they might. But we can tell uh, in Europe they represent uh, Banco Santander, they represent uh, uh, UK Finance, which is just a lobby group for uh, UK banks. They represent uh, the European Roundtable of Industry, which is just the big corporations. So you've got these uh, consultants, these old New Labour consultants who've been rehashed. They come back and they say, really – Labour, everyone hates Labour. They'd they'd love Labour if they would just abandon all their principles. You know, is it or or is that really just what they what their interests are, and they're ventriloquising it uh, uh, through polling or insight or what have you? Uh, I I don't think I don't think it's an election winner, but I just wonder if, to some extent, it's it's the, the, the what is driving them is is as much their personal interest uh, as their interest in a particular form of Labour politics. Solomon, it's been a real pleasure. We covered a huge amount of ground there, and to have your insight and expertise is a, is a real privilege. So, really, really appreciate you coming on, and do pleasure. follow Solomon Hughes obviously on Twitter, where you'll see all sorts of very fascinating insights about what's going on really in politics. But cheers, Solomon, really appreciate it. Bye. Take care, Sanchez.
So I'm very glad now to bring in uh, Raj uh, Chadha, who is the lawyer who represented uh, Aksana Begum, the Labour MP who has been, as I said at the beginning, completely and utterly vindicated, completely exonerated in court after facing prosecution by Tower Hamlet Council on charges of uh, housing benefit related fraud. Raj, firstly, it's a big honour to have you, uh, though I think you're muted. I think we need to unmute you. Just checking. We want to hear your dulcet tones. That's better. Here we go. How are you doing, Raj? Well, firstly, massive congratulations. Huge, huge well done on this brilliant result. Thank you very much. Um, It was at last justice being done for Upsana, and it's been such a traumatic time for her. So just talk us through, because people, some people might not be familiar. I know we have, we, we can obviously be careful. The, this is, um, as, and you're a lawyer, so you, obviously we will tread carefully throughout. Can you just explain what, how this case originated, the circumstances of the case and, and the prosecution that was made? And, and on that, I mean, people, some people don't understand because they think generally they're familiar with Crown Prosecution Service prosecutions where there was a very very high threshold the vast majority of cps prosecutions end up with guilty verdicts they only do them if they think they're going to win this isn't this was a tower this was a local authority so just talk, talk us through as best you can the circumstances and and, and, the, and the basis of the case so as you say many many prosecutions the vast majority of prosecutions are, are conducted by the crime prosecution service who have particular expertise uh, and training in conducting prosecutions. This prosecution, uh, as is often the case for, uh, in local authority situations, was conducted by Tower Hamlet's uh, council. Uh, and this was in relation to an allegation that Apsana had failed to update the council in relation to her living circumstances. So in effect, getting a council house quicker than she should have done, um, jumping the queue, if you like. Uh, and uh, there was a tip-off to the local council, interestingly, at about around the time that Apsana was being selected uh, for her candidacy for, for Labour MP. Uh, Tar Hamlets investigate, uh, and eventually they bring three charges against Apsana for not only failing to update them, but dis- allegedly dishonestly failing to update them. Uh, and, and those allegations were, were completely um, disproven, if you like, in, in court. The jury found her not guilty uh, and she's been completely vindicated. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So in terms of uh, the in terms of what you suggested in the in the trial that the council should have handed the investigation to the police. And I don't know in terms of the original complaint and factions within Tower Hamlet. I don't know how much you can speak about that. Well what 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 we showed uh, and was pretty obvious had investigators looked at it in a bit more detail what was that that original complaint uh, may well have originated from another Labour councillor and indeed a Tory councillor as well submitting complaints to Tar Hamlet's council uh, the uh, another complaint going to the Labour Party all around about the time of Apsana's selection uh, and there was clearly 
someone else who was um, keen to draw this allegation to the authorities' attention. So, so, so that was the first issue. The, the second issue is obviously local councils, and we've no criticism of how the officers themselves conducted the investigation in terms of whether they were subject to um, pressure by politicians, but inevitably they are political institutions. Uh, and whether it's really right that a local council was handling this particular investigation, which drew into it other local councillors, drew into it committee meetings, seems to, seems to us, certainly in retrospect, to have been a mistake. Now, this was a horrendous ordeal for Oksana to go through, and it was made all, all the worse by, particularly online, the Islamophobia, the misogyny, the bile that she was subjected to by frankly, by accounts, and I have to say, not just conservative supporting accounts, but some associated with right-wing factions within the Labour Party who were clearly desperately gunning for a guilty verdict and were tweeting as though Apsana was guilty. They were full of glee. For example, the Spectator Diary uh, columnist tweeted... Um, um, about how John McDonnell, the former Shadow Chancellor and the Labour MP for Hayes and Harlington, uh, gave a character witness in support of Upsana and how she would have been made his PPS uh, were he to have become Chancellor in a, in a Labour victory. Hasn't tweeted anything about the results since. I mean, what, you know, tell me about the pressure that, I mean, for, for one thing, how that risks obviously justice being done with with all of that online and the impact of that because this is a muslim a young muslim woman and who was subjected to and john mckenzie has, has race played a huge part in that so tell me about that whole element and the impact on the case and on absana well I, th I think the first thing was the deep irresponsibility of some parts of the mainstream media uh, and indeed some social media accounts in tweeting during the course of the trial uh, after day one, uh, we had to bring up before the judge um, at least two newspapers who had, had printed errors. They, they, that was not the case against Upsana, where they had used completely different words than had been used in court. Um, and that's really unforgivable because that risked the trial process itself. Uh, and then secondly, the level of vile and vitriol directed towards Muslim MPs is it, quite astonishing. I really, uh, Absana had to deal with a huge amount and she dealt with it in a heroic and calm way. Um, but I, I saw the tweets because uh, we, we kept a, a daily eye on them, brought them before the judge, but they were Islamophobic, they prejudiced the trial, they tried to suggest, for example, her hand should be cut off, she should be deported. Pretty vile stuff. Uh, and um, something is going wrong either with the platforms or, or with these account holders that that sort of thing can be allowed um, at all, and particularly during a trial. Now, this was a jury verdict. So I'm just interested in terms of her exoneration, the basis, the defence, obviously, the very successful defence that yeah. you mounted. What was the basis for the victory, basically? So um, Absana made clear that, that she had notified uh, by telephone to uh, Tar Hamlet's counsel the changes uh, that she was required to notify. And there is some evidence, clearly, that... that local authorities' systems may not be the best at recording such calls. But, but secondly, uh, at the time, she admits that she didn't email them, which perhaps in retrospect she should have done, but she was under a huge amount of pressure at that time. She was a victim of, of honour-based um, violence or threat of violence from her family, uh, a victim of potentially domestic abuse, she said, during the course of her trial, in relation to her relationship. Uh, and the idea that she had made a telephone call, but she didn't email, that that should find the basis of a criminal prosecution is what we find so disappointing. And clearly the jury agreed. Just a couple of final things. I mean, 
what I mean, Absana spoke about this in her statement about looking to 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 help ensure this doesn't happen to other people. So I, I guess what lessons can be drawn to make sure this this doesn't repeat itself. I I do think that investigators need to be trained and to recognise issues of coercion or issues of domestic abuse uh, and understand how that may affect those that suffer from that at the time. Um, and I do think that was lacking in some of the investigators' approach, that they clearly need to recognise their duties under the criminal legislation about investigating not only issues that might support the prosecution, but issues that might support the defence. Uh, and the criminal justice system as a whole probably needs to recognise how to deal with people who give evidence and say they're, they're victims themselves of domestic abuse and, and how that affects their actions. Uh, it, it's a traumatic thing to relive, and it's a traumatic thing to relive in a court, but it's a traumatic thing to relive when it's being replayed in the uh, newspapers and in social media constantly. Finally... I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, but look, I mean, Afsana is on the left of the Labour Party. She mm. is not close to the current Labour leadership. Um, and she's a young Muslim woman. She's a woman of colour. She hasn't been inundated, I would say, with solidarity from senior Labour figures. There have been Labour MPs who've spoken out. They tend to be associated with the left, or themselves, um, we've seen, for example, some politicians, people of colour, Labour MPs who've spoken out. But actually, generally speaking, I just wonder if this had been maybe someone associated, someone close to the Labour leadership, I just don't think there would have been this silence. I mean, what do you think? I mean, maybe do, what that lack of solidarity, do you think that's striking? I think um, I would hope that solidarity is one of the founding planks of the Labour movement. Uh, and there was some solidarity and, you know, great, great credit to people like John McDonnell, who came to court and gave a character witness, knowing full well how that would be treated by the right wing media. Yet, yet John had no hesitation and, and came at short notice. Uh, and I think that's a, a tribute to him. Uh, and his idea of, of standing by people and giving his honest account of, of what he thought of Afsana. Um, I, I do hope that the wider Labour leadership display similar levels of solidarity now. Afsana has been completely cleared uh, and completely vindicated, uh, and I hope that she continues to stand up for her constituents in the way that she's done, and, and that she has a... a huge career in front of her in, in, in the Labour Party. Raj, thank you so, so much for joining us and just talking through those details. Really appreciate it. You're actually on holiday, so taking a break from your holiday course. So I hope you can kind of enjoy the rest of that. So we particularly appreciate it, but um, it's a great victory. Um, so huge, huge congratulations. And of course, um, solidarity with Upsana after everything she's gone through. So thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. Take care, Raj. Take care. Great stuff. Well, it's great to have two brilliant guests to talk through two very different but very, very important issues. Um, this week on the on the channel, hopefully we now resume normal service after uh, I've got over COVID-19. I can leave the hat. I can leave my flat from midnight tonight. Very exciting. Watch out London. Um, so, but we've got loads of stuff coming up. We've got this documentary we are working on about who really owns Britain. If you want to support that, with you know three quid or whatever whatever you can spare to our team to it's a huge amount of time and resources um but it will be worth it i am absolutely convinced um then you can do that on patreon.com forward slash owen jones 84 uh also do like this video and do subscribe i want to thank the people who supported on super chat all the way through the show si simeon wakely i said simon before so apologies for that simeon Wakely. I used to work for Simeon, so that makes it even worse. Stephen Calder, Tadeusz Campwell, uh, a regular who were very, very tough to have. Uh, Bahumanya Guy, John McKenzie, another regular, brilliant. 
uh, as ever. Thanks for your support. Uh, Mellow Maggot and Woody, thank you so, so, so much. Uh, as I said, we've got loads of stuff coming up. We've got video about the privatization of the National Health Service, legislation being uh, driven through by the Conservatives, very little press scrutiny, media scrutiny about that. That's what we're here for. Um, to do what other media outlets are failing to do. So we'll have a very interesting video with two leading experts on that. Um, if you want to help suggest who we interview and what we talk about, then on patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84. Grant Sloan has just uh, also just put in support um, on Super Chat. So thank you, Grant. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you so, so much. And do also subscribe to that and leave a review if you feel so well inclined. Uh, but as I said, we've got loads and loads to go to go now, especially I'm feeling better. So raring to go out in the outside world, uh, speaking truth to power, taking on the elites, uh, giving a platform to voices that are otherwise not heard. That's the point of this. We're not bankrolled by billionaires, so we do appreciate your support. So thank you so, so much, not least because obviously I have no technical ability and the hard work is not done by my prepubescent looking Macaulay Culkin um, face, but by others who do far better work than me, but obviously aren't in front of the camera. Anyway, thank you so, so much. Lots of love and solidarity. Have a great day, whatever you're doing. I will see you live next Sunday, but we will have videos during the week, and we have our documentary, thanks to you, which will be coming out on Who Really Owns Britain. Take care, everyone. See you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you got a lot out of that. I certainly did. Um, do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84. Help us decide which documentaries we do, who we speak to, that kind of thing. Or use the support function uh, to keep the team uh, doing their amazing work. Um, I will speak to you soon. Uh, take care. Lots of love. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.